If you do have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11, we're going to start in verse 15. Uh, we've been going through portions of Scripture where there have been sequences of seven. There were seven seals that were broken, and with each one there were uh, different scenarios and circumstances, uh, tribulations that came about, and now we've been be going through uh, the seven trumpets. And we got through six trumpets, and then we broke and we've had a couple of prophetic writings, and today we're going to get to that seventh trumpet. We're going to go into these sequences and dig into those a little bit more. Uh, but let's begin reading and see what this says concerning this seventh trumpet and the worship service that begins. It says in verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the, first, the seventh trumpet blows. We've been waiting for the seventh. There was a pause, a break, but now there's the seventh. And as it blows, it says that the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. It's his. What that's saying is he has had victory. Certainly he had victory on the cross. He said it was finished. That means he paid your debt. But now at the end of time, as that seventh trumpet blows, it's the final, final end. It means it's all completed. That he swoops in, he brings wrath on his enemies and rescues his people. And so this world, even though we see uh, knuckleheads in charge, we see Satan sometimes running wild, it seems, that it'll be no more. Jesus has won, he's had victory, he overcomes, and so the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And it's going to be like that forever. There's not going to be another time after Jesus comes back. Well, there will be the sin of chaos and greed and just all the vile ways of humanity and of demonic things. That'll never be again. There won't be death anymore. There won't be sin anymore because forever and ever, Christ and his kingdom will have authority and it's going to be perfect. His perfect kingdom. That day is coming. It comes, it says, at that seventh trumpet as it blows. And it goes on and says, verse 16, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroy, destroyers of the earth. And so as we've seen previously, around the throne of God, there's different people, different creatures that are there. There's the four living creatures that are cherubim that are right there next to the throne. And then you had these 24 elders. We do not know who they are. They may, uh, there's likely a chance they're not even human. They're just these 24 elders that are right there. They're right around the throne. And as they hear the seventh trumpet, and as that initiates that perfect kingdom of Christ, they fall on their faces before the throne and just begin to worship Jesus. And they say, hey, the Lord has begun to, uh, to, 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 to reign for forever. His enemies are going to be destroyed. And his people, the ones who bear his name, he will rescue them. And so they talk about this coming wrath and judgment upon the enemies and the rescue of his people. And up to this time, there's been descriptions of Jesus where they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now finish it with me who was and is and is to come. Over and over we've heard that, who was and is and is to come, who was and is and is to come. But right here in this passage, when they worship, they said it differently. Did you notice that? 
they said in the middle of 17, who is and who was. They no longer say who is to come. And the reason is because Jesus has finally come. Now, he always was and he currently is. And that'll always be. But there will be a day when there will no longer be the portion where people say and is to come because there is a day he is coming. And on that day when he comes, there's no longer another day when he comes. He's already come. And so in their worship, it's just awesome because they the Lord is and he was. And that's it. It's been completed. He's had victory and he's destroyed his enemies and he's saved his people. And we worship you, Jesus. We worship you because you are worthy to be worshiped. You are almighty God. You are almighty God. His wrath has come. His rescue has also come. And we finish out in verse 19. It says this. Then God's temple in heaven was open and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. And so suddenly after this worship service, John says that you could peek into heaven. He could see right into the innermost place. And when he looked into that place, he saw the Ark of the Covenant. So this is where we have to rewind and do a little bit of background. In the Old Testament, when the people came out of Egypt, this is way before Jesus. They had been in slavery in Egypt. They're rescued. And now they're wandering in the wilderness. And God gives them the law. And he says, you are going to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a place where I will meet with you. We talked about this last week, how as you got closer to the inside of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle, of the temple, in the very middle was this place called the most holy place. And inside the most holy place where the high priest only went one time of year on the on the day of atonement in that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Essentially, it was a box that was covered in gold. No one could touch it. In fact, a guy touched it once and immediately died. He was trying to help save it from falling. It was so holy that he died. You weren't to touch it. And inside this golden box, there were several things that were contained. One was the Ten Commandments, the law. They were put right inside there, those tablets. Then there was the, the staff of Aaron's, which had budded. At one time, they needed a sign. The people of Israel needed to be a sign. And, and uh, Aaron's staff budded. And so they put that staff in there. And then also they'd taken a, a jar of manna. You remember the manna, the, the food that God had fed the nation with throughout all their time with the wilderness. They put a jar of that in there to remember. But it was called the Ark of the Covenant. People would look at that and remember if, if, if they ever had a chance to see it while it was out and open. Most people didn't get to see it because it would be sitting in that most holy place. But it was a reminder of the covenant. A covenant is a bond of relationship, a, a basically a contract between two people saying, this is the way our relationship's going to work. When Katie and I got married, we made a covenant. It was only going to be between her and I. There's no other men and no other women. Right, honey? Right? We promised that. It's just her and I. Until death do us part, right? We made a covenant. This is the way the relationship's going to work. This is the frame of time. God also made a covenant with the people of Israel. And that ark was like the symbolic center of that relational covenant with the people. And unless the people had the covenant with God, they could not be in relationship with him. If they were sinful, they couldn't be in that relationship with God. And so that's where the sacrifices came in to cover and atone their sins. But throughout the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were going on 
were not good enough to actually atone for their sin. They were symbolic of something that would be. But God said, you know what? You can't pay for the sin of human beings with the blood of bulls and goats. That's counterfeit money. Okay, that's not the right money. It's symbolic. It's like writing a check but have nothing to back it up with. And so God was using that to foreshadow something that would come and would be an acceptable sacrifice of atonement, washing the people and bringing them into covenant, into relationship with God Almighty. And that lamb that was slain was Jesus Christ. He shed his blood. And when we call upon the name of the Lord and ask forgiveness, that blood that was shed on the cross for you and I is like that blood that was right in that most holy place, causing and forging a covenant, a relationship between the people. That's why Jesus, as he sat at the communion table and he offered his body, right? That body that was shred apart for you and I. But then he also took the cup. And as he passed it among his disciples, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The relationship that was written and forged in the blood of Jesus. It was causing the opportunity for you to be washed clean and brought into right relationship with God. Because now you're forgiven, you're clean. Otherwise, you couldn't be in the most holy place. You couldn't be in the holy God's presence unless you were clean. And so the sacrifice of Jesus was made. You were atoned for. Your sin was covered. And you were brought through forgiveness, through his grace and mercy, into a covenant relationship with God. Just like in marriage, there is to be no other God, nobody else that you were married to spiritually other than God. You're not to play around with the idols of the world. You're not to love and forsake your relationship with him for the things that the world might have to offer, the things that your flesh wants to have, the things that other people might convince you won't do you any harm. You're to only be in love and married to Jesus Christ. And so that covenant was forged. He says that when you take communion and you, you drink that juice, you're reminded of the relationship you have with Jesus in that covenant. So why is all this brought up? I want to go quickly to Matthew chapter 27. This is when Jesus is being crucified on the cross. This is when Jesus is being crucified. And, and uh, we find in this chapter in verse 50, Matthew 27, verse 50, it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That means Jesus died. The Lamb of God, God Almighty, who had always been the Son of God, he died in that moment. He yielded up his spirit and he suffered under the wrath of God in that moment. Well, what happens next is incredible because it says in verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so you remember that most holy place that we were talking about? Even in the temple, there was a curtain that was there that kept outsiders from getting to the inside. It kept sinners from getting into the holy place and the place where God would meet with them. And yet when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And it wasn't ripped by man because if man ripped it, it'd be ripped from bottom to top. But when Jesus died, God rend that curtain in two. What he was saying is now there is opportunity to have entrance into that most holy place because I just killed my son. I just crushed him under my wrath to give you the chance to come into relationship through covenant in Jesus's blood. That's why that curtain was ripped in two to give you the opportunity 
to be in God's holy presence. And so now when John, it says suddenly, I could see into heaven. It was opened up that the reality of heaven is that that covenant is steadfast. It's right there in God's presence. And that place, that way is made available through Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes unto the Father but through me. When he died on that cross and that curtain was ripped, that's the way. It's through Jesus. No one gets to the Father. Nobody gets to that most holy place except through Jesus Christ. Now, when it's said in Revelation that you could see in and you could see that Ark of the Covenant, that place where God said, I'm going to be in relationship with those people, not because of bulls and goats, and not because they were wandering around in the wilderness, but because through Jesus I made it possible for them to be in relationship. It says at that moment that there was earthquakes, peals of, peals of uh, thunder, lightning, hail. I mean, it was chaos as far as heavens go. There was a shaking going on. Now, that's not just there because God likes a crazy place. It's symbolic because here in Matthew 27, after the curtain is ripped, it says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And it keeps going and says this, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Right as Jesus dies, he suffers under the wrath of God. That curtain is torn in two. And at the same time, there's an earthquake. There's thunder. There's been darkness. All those things go on. And we see it in John, or excuse me, in Revelation repeatedly, when that seventh seal is broken when that seventh trumpet is blown and later on when that seventh bowl of wrath is poured out that there is an earthquake there is thunder there is lightning there is hail there's all the same components that go on exactly at the same type of position where jesus died okay so what we're having indicated is a wrath of god now i know that's out there and it may not all make sense but what I want to do right now, I'm going to pull out the slides and the lasers. Okay, we're going to uh, I got some things to hopefully help this out a little bit. And, and uh, a lot of times when people come to teach Revelation, they will have charts and graphs to kind of illustrate. In fact, in our denomination, when preachers first went out and had uh, revival services and stuff, a lot of them would tote uh, um, charts and graphs because it's the Advent Christian Church were waiting for Jesus to come back. So they were teaching on the book of Revelation and had charts. And so I have my own. This is kind of how I see these things playing out in these sequences of seven. So if we play the first slide, this is commonly how people will um, look at the timeline of Jesus, or excuse me, what's revealed in Revelation. Here I got my, everybody see the laser? All right. They got the timeline and they say, hey, we're moving from one direction to the other. And that's how you and I share stories. When you go watch a movie, oftentimes, you know, you see the princess at the beginning and she makes friends with the dwarves, right? And then she gets into trouble because she ate the apple. And we keep moving through the story until there's a climax and an end, right? And so sometimes when we come to the book of Revelation or prophetic literature, we like to think of it along this timeline. Well, it just must start at one end and go to the other. And so when you go through these sequences of seven, a lot of times 
we think, well, they just must be going through. First, we hit the bowls. Then we'd hit the, tr- or excuse me, the seals first. Then the trumpets. Then the bowls. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But because of what we've seen in some of the similarities, my understanding is not that they would one, run from one into the other, but rather they're all occurring at the same time. So on this next slide, uh, we'll see how I how I uh, view this thing, that they're all actually happening kind of a, at the same time, that, that while the seals are happening, also the trumpets are happening, also the bowls are happening. Okay, we'll get to the bowls later. We haven't even hit those yet, but I just kind of wanted to frame this even as we go forward. So all these things are happening. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think they're happening, occurring ab- about the same time. This is common with how the Jews actually told stories. Uh, a lot of times, like if you go to the book of Judges, they will... Uh, cycle through stories the way they tell the stories you see that in their history it's more of a cyclical thing and i think this represents more of the way their mind works and the way jesus revealed a lot of things that um, we've hit the seals once and now we're going through the trumpets and then we'll go through the bowls it's like a cycle thing uh kind of showing the similar things going on but uh there's some indicators that make me think this is happening so if we go to the next slide uh we'll see um how it's broken out i think that indicates with all three of them, you have a similar pattern. That is, it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, and then there's a break. There's a break. And God has some other things going on there that he describes. And then finally, he does the last seal, or he does the last trumpet, or he does the last bowl. And on each one of those instances, it's similar things. Earthquake, lightning, thunder, hail, all that comes down. The wrath of God comes upon the earth at that seventh one. That's why I think they're all lined up together. Um, as well, in that moment, as we've read, there's not only the wrath of God, but there's the return of Jesus to rescue his people. So all those things are occurring at once. Uh, if we go to the next slide, um, that'll show us one of the reasons why I think why it won't be noticed right away isn't because they're all exactly happening at the same time, but it could be happening something like this, where they're happening in different orders or at different times. So we may be looking at history or what's going on in the world today and saying, are these the seals? Are these the trumpets? Are these the bowls? And if we're just thinking of them sequentially this way, going through a timeline, we'll be like, well, I don't see it going along to the timeline. But if there's a seal getting broken here and then there's a trumpet blowing here and then over here, there's a bowl. You know, if they're happening kind of in staggered instances, it might be hard for the world to recognize. Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. But I believe for those who are watching, we'll begin to recognize, you know, I think that the Lord talked about that. I think he said these types of things would happen. Okay, and I think that they'll be kind of staggered like that. And then they all boom, like I've got lightning there on the end right there. You know, that's to indicate that right at the end, we all have them kind of uh, line up together. So they may be happening at different times leading up to that. But on that seventh, bam, it happens. And then we'll hit this next slide. And what we have in this is that you'll see that while there were the seals, trumpets, and bowls, I think they're all lined up not just with those three things, but I think they also line up with Jesus Christ. That you see his life go through. And at the last moment of his life, and it said that he gave up his spirit, he yielded it up, and he died. We see the exact same descriptions like we did in the book of Revelation where that curtain is torn in two. There is earthquakes, there is lightning, there's thunder, there's all those things. Those happen at the exact same time. And the reason is this. 
In Revelation, we go through and the Lord is working all those tribulations and then lands at the seventh, whether it's the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet or the seventh bowl. And on that seventh, you see the wrath of God come upon his enemies. And in that same moment, you also see the rescue of his people. The exact same thing is seen in the person of Jesus Christ on that cross. When Jesus Christ is on that cross, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he's suffering under the wrath of God. You were supposed to be on that cross. You, as an enemy of Christ, should be in that place. But you were taken off and Jesus was put on your place as a sacrificial lamb. And so he suffered under the wrath of God. And in those moments upon his death, there was the earthquakes. There were the flashes of lightning. There was darkness. But did you notice in that passage what also happened? Is that there was many other people, saints, who had been buried and were in tombs, who suddenly were resurrected and went into Jerusalem and told about Jesus. In Jesus' death, you see both the wrath of God upon him and the rescue and saving of people illustrated in the resurrection of some saints during that day who went out and told people about Jesus in Jerusalem. And so I think that is just awesome. (laughs) Because in Jesus, we can come and say, Father, please forgive me. And as a result of that, he says, okay, here's the covenant in the blood of Jesus. Drink this. And I have it represented here by that cup that's on the end. When Jesus comes and there's all the, the, the lightning and the thunder. If you have drank of Jesus' blood and you've, you've asked for his forgiveness, then you're saved. On that day when the wrath of God comes, you will be rescued. And that's why I have a cloud there. Jesus says, if you're a rescued one, you won't suffer under the wrath of God. You will actually join him in the twinkling of an eye in the clouds and you will be taken away into his presence for a perfect eternity in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Praise God. That is a promise that is given to you as God's people that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, to wash you clean by his blood, come into a covenant relationship with you and bring you into the most holy place, into his throne room to serve him in joy forever. Now, if you look how Jesus has revealed himself, whether it's seals and trumpets and bowls or miracles on a mountainside feeding 5,000 people, making the blind to see, giving the deaf the opportunity to hear, healing you from cancer. If you have seen all the signs and the witness of Jesus Christ and you look him in the eye and you see all that he's done in, 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 through the gospel and you say, no thanks. And on that day that Jesus Christ comes, All that you understand of Jesus on that cross of pain. Let me tell you something. You don't know it enough. If you don't know Jesus. Do not underestimate how agonizing it's going to be. To see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords break through that crowd, uh, cloud in the midst of the seventh seal and the seventh 
trumpet and the seventh bowl and suddenly recognize you are desperately apart from him. There is a holy God who you have said no thanks to. And in that moment, there is no other moment. He, by his justice. And by the fulfillment of all that the prophets have spoken in that moment, will look at you and no longer extend to you grace or mercy. If you do not know Jesus, you will be extended one thing, and that is judgment and death. Don't wait until then. There's no more rescue at that moment. You need Jesus now in order to have him for eternity, because if you do not have him now, we are going to go on and read in this book. What the wrath of God looks like for you. For the rest of time. You do not want to go that way. Our family, one October, we were driving. We had gone from the city. We were driving out in the country. And it was pumpkin season. So we were driving out to a pumpkin farm. And we were driving on this freeway, you know, and we were listening to songs and singing. And we were on our way to the pumpkin farm. And we got off the freeway and we were going on country roads, you know, and just like country roads here, I'm like country road 55. Hello, that's or more. Uh, that's what you drive. So I'm going along. I don't really speed, but I'm going along uh, on this country road. And as I go over this little little hill along the other way, comes a state trooper. I'm like, I'm glad he's going that way. Until he turned around with his lights on. Who knew that they had radar that could get me going the opposite direction? He pulls me over. We go off on another side road. He pulls me over. He says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I don't, I don't have a clue. He said, you've been speeding. I said, really? I, I didn't see a sign or anything. If it's a country road. I wasn't going more. I really wasn't going more than 55. It's a country road. He said, the speed limit there is 35. I said, I'm sorry, sir. You know, we're just, our family came out. We're going to the pumpkin farm. We're just out on a nice drive. I, I'm sorry, you know, for, for what I've done. He said, okay, well, where's your license and registration? You know, he's got to do that. And, you know, here I was in the midst of, of judgment, of being convicted of something. I didn't necessarily knew I'd done something wrong. But here's the cop, and I'm giving him over my identity, right? He says, I'll be back in a moment. So he goes back to his car. I'm hoping, right? It's in that moment, your prayer life gets really good in those moments. All the while you're sweating and you're embarrassed because your kid's are like, what's happening? What's going on? What did daddy do? Is he getting arrested? What's going on? There's no amount of slides and lasers that can get you out of that moment. Let me tell you. He comes back and he gives me my license, my registration, and a ticket. He knew what I had done. And I was made known of it too. And he gave me a ticket and I had to pay for it. I had to go and, and send in payment to make good for the wrong that I had done. I wanted somebody to just kind of wink at me and say, oh, no, just go on. But I had done something wrong. I'd been identified as the wrongdoer and now I had to pay. And in our lives, in everybody's life, 
We are the ones speeding down the road of life, that timeline that is flying by you. And some of you are at the beginning of that, and some of you are towards way towards the end of that, but you're speeding down that highway too. And maybe you know that you've done wrong. You know you've been speeding. You're a sinner. But some people don't even know. They don't even realize it. I'm just going, not paying any attention to the signs, not paying any attention to the Lord. I'm just going to where I want to go. Just a lovely day, right? Just passing through life. There is coming a day when the great cop in the throne of above is going to bust through that sky and he's going to come and he's going to pull over humanity. And he's going to ask each and every one of us for our ID. And we will hand that over and he will say to the sinners, you have sinned and it's time to pay. The wrath has come for you. And the payment is with our life. Now, wouldn't it have been an awesome when we were driving on that road through the country and we were on our way to the pumpkin patch and I had been speeding. I got caught and I handed over my ID. And the cop takes it and he goes back to his car. And then he comes walking back to the car and he, he goes to hand back the ID. The registration. And the ticket. And in that moment when he goes to pass it to me. Up walks his co-worker. Who snatches that out of his hand. And says, you know what? I'm a police officer and I've never sped. I've never done anything wrong. I didn't deserve this ticket. But I've determined to pay this ticket for Jason. I will I will make the payment for this and he will get off scot free. He's got freedom. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if I said, no, I'll pay for it myself. Put that on my record. No, we'd all say, thank you, please. Please, I'm begging you. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great if you could just take that off my record. That's what Jesus has done by dying on the cross for our sins. We stand there with a ticket. It's it's suddenly come where we've and, and the Lord snatches it and says, I paid for that. I don't have a record. Let it go on my record. I paid for that. And Jesus suffered and died under the wrath of God to pay your ticket. Are you in this lifetime going to say no, thanks. I'll pay it. Let me tell you, if you do that, you will pay it. You will pay it and you're not going to like it. But the great thing is, if you say, Lord, yes, pay it. Many of you say this at times, and I hope it comes to have a greater meaning for some of the times we say it. But yes, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. What does mercy mean? It means not getting what you deserve. You deserve that ticket. You deserve to be judged. You deserve to have the wrath of God upon you and you to be cast into eternal darkness and wrath. That's what you deserve. But mercy is when that is taken away. But God is just. The punishment that you deserved, he took away, but then put it on Jesus. And in that moment on the cross, the earthquake, 
peals of thunder, lightning, hail, darkness, it all indicates that when Jesus took it, he didn't just crumple it up and throw it in a ditch. Jesus suffered for you. He paid your ticket. And now he comes back having resurrected from the dead. And he gives us the scriptures to say to you, I paid it. You accept it. You're forgiven. Now go drive. Go drive without guilt. Go on now. Get on with your family and go drive. But let me tell you this. If you've been forgiven, that is not a license to go keep sinning. Okay, just because the cop pulled you over and somebody else paid you a ticket, you don't get back on that road and go speeding again. You actually get back in the car and you do this. You say, Lord, how do you want me to drive then? Show me where you want me to go. Show me what speed you want me to drive. Show me who do you want in the car with me? Who am I to be in relationship with? Everything now on this journey and on this road, if you've said, Lord, yes, play, uh, have mercy upon me and pay my ticket, now as you go along, it's no longer your drive, it's his drive. The kingdom of God has already broken into your life. And now you're driving for the king. You say, Lord, where, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to drive? Who do you want me in relationship with? Tell me how you want this to go. And you, you know what? It'll be the best Sunday drive ever. It'll be the best Monday drive ever. Best Tuesday. Best, you know what? It'll, your life will forever be changed for the better. You just trust Jesus. And on that great day, as that seventh seal, seventh trumpet, seventh bowl come, and that wrath of God comes, you won't experience it. But instead, he will scoop you up in his mercy and his grace. And he'll say, come with me. And you know that place that John peeked into where there was the Ark of the Covenant, the very center Right where God would have his meeting place in the presence of his people. Jesus is going to snatch you up and he's going to take you there. You will be in the midst of God's presence for forever. It's going to be awesome. As Jesus comes and he says, I've paid your ticket. You have one of two choices. Yes or no. I suggest yes, but I can't convince you of yes. I can give you all the reasons and all the background as to where each one goes. And you've heard it. There's nothing I can do to twist your arm to do it. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, for some of you, has been working on you. The scripture says today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, do not harden your hearts like the Israelites did in the wilderness. But instead hear it and come and repent to him. And so today, if you find yourself not having known Jesus before, maybe you thought you did. But you heard the gospel today for the, and you're like, oh, man, I, I need to I need to have Jesus pay my ticket. I've never asked him to pay my ticket. Ask him today. And today will be the first day of the beginning of your best drive. OK, if you have already asked Jesus to pay your ticket and you're a believer, you're a Christian, but you've gotten back in that car and you've said, oh, yeah, license to freedom, joy ride here, anything I want to do. That's not the right way. If you found yourself not being submissive to him. Come back to him and say, Lord, you've just showed me all this garbage and sin in my life. I come and confess that to you now. Please show me how to walk or drive, whatever, with you. 
And in that way, come into right relationship, righteousness, right relationship with Jesus, with God, for now and for eternity. Father, we come to you. We're grateful that you reveal these things to us. And at times, sure enough, we scratch our heads trying to figure it out. But as you reveal these things to us, we have no more excuses. You have showed us the signs. You have told us what's demanded. That there is no other way into the most holy place, into your presence, into relationship with you other than Jesus Christ. And so today, if we find ourselves guilty, Lord, we pray that we would confess our sins and ask for your mercy. Would you give us your mercy today, Lord? And we're grateful, Lord, that you extend to us your grace, all these things that we did not deserve. We don't deserve to be in your body of believers. We don't deserve to be in your church. We don't deserve to be in your kingdom. We don't deserve to be taken to heaven. We don't deserve any of it. But you're gracious and we're thankful for that. Lord, right now for the soul who is saying, I need my picket, uh, ticket paid, Lord, I pray that you would help them to come to a place of surrender. Right now in this moment, I pray that they would confess to you their sins and say, I don't want to drive this anymore. I want Jesus to drive for me. I pray that you'd save them today, Lord. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, but we've been driving reckless however we want, wherever we want, how fast we want, with whoever we want, and we've been in idolatry with the world and a love for our own pleasure, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to stop and that we would go the way that you want us to go, not steering to the right or to the left, but pointed straight at Jesus. We confess our sins to you. We ask that you would forgive us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to live right. And Lord, we do look forward to the day that you're coming. We pray that we would not look forward to that day in fear, but that we would look eagerly to the day when you will come. And the kingdom of the world will now be the kingdom of our Lord. It'll be the kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.